0: So we're going to invite up Benji Horning from Light Church in Encinitas. Uh, but before that, my friend Rebecca is going to read today's passage. Good morning. Okay. Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, Come to me, all who, you, who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Don't forget your phone. You might need to check Instagram or something while I'm preaching, just in case. Uh, hey guys, how you doing? Doing good? Doing this beautiful Sunday? Oh my goodness, so good. Well, glad to be with you guys. Um, this is kind of like the, the yearly summer like sermon from Benji, you know? So it's just good to be back. Uh, a lot of familiar faces and the staff and the team here have become some of our dearest friends. And uh, what Drew mentioned is we um, our church up in Encinitas Light Church, which is going on right now as we speak, um, we have journeyed together. We literally started our churches within two weeks of each other. Um, and th- and Evan and Sandy have been one of our greatest uh, just cheerleaders and friends in this whole process. Uh, could not imagine planting a church without you guys. Um, knowing you guys are down here, there's so much that we share in common. As a matter of fact, we're gonna be teaching a series in the fall together um, as churches. And so we are really just... Thankful for that. Really glad to be here today. And I'm really excited for uh, the text we get to preach from today and the series and kind of the rest month you guys are in as a church. Uh, a couple of things you should know about me. Number one, I'm a Phoenix Suns fan. And uh, so pray for me. I'm still grieving last night's loss a little bit. Um, but you know, all hope is not lost yet. So Tuesday's coming and Thursday's coming for game seven when they will win. Um, so it's, it's been really fun because my church hears me talk about the Suns almost every Sunday. They're really excited for the season to end, so I'll stop. But along the way, we picked up some friends. As a matter of fact, Drew, a couple weeks ago, he had never seen a basketball game ever. I, I know. And so, and so we, he got to be with me as we watched the Phoenix Suns clinch the Western Conference Finals. It was a magic moment, you know? Like music was playing, birds were chirping. It was incredible. So he's a Suns fan now, so praise the Lord. Just furthering along in his sanctification. Um, other things you should know about me, um, one, you guys got to get to see her early. My lovely wife, Jen, we are celebrating 15 years of marriage next week. Come on. That's how amazing she is to be with this guy for 15 years. Um, And then in that 15 years, we have four wonderful children, Uh, Zoe, who's 12, uh, Jubilee, who's 10, Vienna, who's seven, and Augustine, who is five years old. And they're incredible. But I got to be honest, um, it's been quite a year and a half. When you have four kids and all of a sudden the government lets you know they will be with you 24-7 and you have nothing to do about it. And you're like, okay. So you just adjust, right? And you're welcoming. And we, um, I'm so thankful for our home. But we're, we've become very familiar with each other. But everything was kind of like, you know, it was just things kind of calmed down. And we got into a new rhythm. But it was like this summer, as everything kind of opened up again, so did our calendars. And trying to coordinate six people's summer calendars, now that things are finally opened up, was just like all of a sudden we're exercising muscles we didn't use for two years. Anyone else feel like this summer has been so fun and so exhausting? Um, This has been like our experience. It's been incredible. Like our kids got to go to camp and we got to go to Disneyland and families come to visit. And it's been this amazing experience. But earlier this week, it just kind of came to a head and all of a sudden, it was like the great meltdown of 2021 in our living room. And like our, like our oldest is laying out on the couch, like totally like just, just overwhelmed by like the sun. Um, Jubilee's in the corner crying because she couldn't do another sleepover. Um, Vienna's playing yellow by Coldplay in the corner. <laughs> not, <laughs> not kidding. Um, Augustine is yelling at me to take his shoes off because he tied them in twenty knots, and, and like everyone is melting down, and I, including myself, and I'm just like, man, what is going on? And Jen so wisely just points out, she's like, I think everyone's just tired, and I'm like, I think you're right. Like this is this is just one of those moments where you realize that this is we've all kind of come to the end of ourselves. Interestingly enough, in a season we were supposed to be resting is when we found ourselves realizing how exhausted we were. And it was right in the time frame that I was studying for this message and getting to read one of my favorite texts that I really just sensed the Holy Spirit. Those words, that that wisdom we had as parents over our kids, that the Holy Spirit just wants to extend a grace today that maybe we're just tired. Right? Maybe the, the things that we've done, the way we've treated people, the words that have come out of our mouth have come out of a place of exhaustion. And what today, that I just really sense the Spirit of God wants to do, He just wants to exchange that and just to really, in this place, just for every single person to leave with just the gift of rest and peace. And we're going to be doing that by studying some very significant words that Jesus said um, and these words are, they're familiar. Um, if you have studied the words of Jesus before, if you're familiar with church, um, and they're familiar for good reason. They, they're incredibly comforting. I'm just going to read the last part of this again. When Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, This is in Matthew 11. If you have a Bible, it'd be a great one to memorize, a great one to underline, to go back to again and again and again. The reason for that isn't just because these are peaceful words. But the reason why this has just had more gravity lately for me is actually the context it finds itself in. You see, Jesus, as he's addressing his disciples, says something very significant. He says that all things have been committed to him or handed over to him by his Father, The reason why that's so significant is because early on in Matthew's gospel, Satan uses that term to talk about how all the kingdoms of the world have been given to him. So there's some sort of exchange. There's the kingdom under the rule and reign of Satan that is present in this earth. But now something has happened where Jesus says, the Father has given him all things. They now belong to him. And this phrase committed or handed over what the father has given to him is used frequently throughout the gospel over a hundred times but it's always used in reference to Jesus being given over Jesus handed over to be betrayed and there's this one time in Matthew 11 and in Luke 12 same story different different phrasing where Jesus says Not only am I being given over, but everything has been given over to me from the Father. It's not going to be the same as when Satan was ruling this place. And And so with that context, with Jesus saying, everything's been given to me. I have all of authority. I have the possession of everything in my hands. He looks at his disciples and he says, this is what I want you to know. That when you're tired and you're weary, you can come to me. And I'm going to put my yoke upon you because it's easy and light. I'm going to give you rest for your souls. What a significant moment. I mean, Jesus could have said anything. All things have been given to me. Let me talk to you about the cross. Let me talk to you about resurrection. Let me talk to you about sanctification and holiness, communion, all these different things. You know what he says? I want to give you rest. I want you to take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and it's light. And I believe that in this moment, Jesus wants us not only to learn about these words, but to experience them. So would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to go ahead and pray that these words would not just be learned, but experienced. Holy Spirit, we welcome you now in this place. God, that these words would move from our intellect into our emotions. God, they would move from our mind into our body. Lord, that we would have an experience, God, that these words, living and active, would make their way into our souls. Lord, and that, is, that doesn't happen by eloquent speech. That happens from your spirit. So we welcome you now just to come and be with us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, three, three, three things this text teaches us. Number one, it teaches us about the heart of Jesus. Number two, it teaches us about the yoke of Jesus. And lastly, it teaches us something about the rest of Jesus. His heart, his yoke, and his rest. The heart of Jesus, Charles Spurgeon, 100 years ago, uh, pointed out something that was incredibly significant. He had this revelation that in all of the Gospels, Jesus only talks about his heart one time. Explicitly, that he mentions his heart. And it's in this passage, the, and all the things that Jesus taught, this is the one moment that he pauses to say, uh, to, to open up the window, to pull back the veil and say, I'm going to let you know about my heart. And he uses two words to describe his heart. My heart is gentle and it's lowly. Some of your translations might say humble. And for If we were just to take a guess of what two words we think would best describe the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of God, because he is the fullness of God embodied, what two words would you use? I mean, just ask yourself that question. I I know for me, probably my two words would probably be holy and in love, which are not bad. Those are very clear attributes in scripture. But in this moment, Jesus chooses to use these two words, gentle and lowly, as to describe who he is. Now, it's important for us to point out that these two words, or his heart, is not describing an emotional state. This, this revelation is so profound; it actually prompted a recent book that just came out called "Gentle and Lowly" by Dan Ortland. I'll quote a, a couple of lines from today, and there's a the whole book on this. These two words, this concept, but he does a great job of describing what does Jesus mean by heart. He says, The Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or new. It is not speaking of our emotional life only, but the central animating center of all that we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. It is our motivation headquarters. The heart, in biblical terms, is not a part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. The heart is a matter of life. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. So when we take a step back and realize that Biblically speaking, he's not describing an emotional state, but rather the center animating force of who God is, is gentle and lowly. We have a lot to sit with. Gentle in the Greek, as far as it's used here, is used this once in in the New Testament. And it means what it's translated as. It's this meekness, this gentleness, this mild manner. The second word, humble, is used quite often, almost every time it's used in Scripture, it's used to contrast pride. Pride. So it's the same word that says that God exalts the humble, but he opposes the proud. It's that same idea that it is the opposite of what pride looks like. And I've thought about this often that if anyone had the right to be prideful, it would be God, wouldn't it? It's kind of like when LeBron James is like prideful, you're just kind of like, well, he earned it. Like he's allowed to be. Like, there's just certain athletes or artists, and you're like, they're not cocky. They're just that good. And we just kind of make, like, an excuse, like, well, that's fine. It's okay that you've called yourself the king, and no one bats an eye. Like, you're not allowed to give yourself nicknames unless you're LeBron James, and apparently that works. If anyone had the right to be prideful, it would be God, because everything is his. Everything came from him. And yet, at the center, animating source of who God is, He is the opposite of pride. He's humble. If you want to explore this more, I'd encourage you just to read Second, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eleven, as it describes Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection being the result of His humility. And in the beginning of it, says you should have the same attitude as Christ. So this is, again, it's, it's profound. And the reason why this is so significant is because if we can understand the heart of Jesus, it solves a lot of problems. Let, let me give you this illustration. A friend of mine, her name is Rose Males, and she's from Australia, was telling me about how shepherding in Australia is done a little bit different than shepherding, let's say, here or in the Middle East or in Europe, where here, shepherds will, will have a boundary line, and they'll use a fence to kind of say, okay, you have a hundred sheep. These hundred sheep need to stay within this fence. And that's called boundary set. In boundary set shepherding. In Australia, they don't have boundary set shepherding. They have center set shepherding. Meaning there's no fences. They just dig a well. And the sheep know, don't go that far away from the source of water. So there's no need for fences because they know where their source comes from. And they come back to it. When we don't know the heart of Jesus, we will lean into and cling to a bound-set understanding of God. Tell me the fences, the, the walls. Tell me what rules not to break. But what he does here, he says, I just want you to know my heart. And when you know this about me, you won't stray that far. And so for us, this is critical. We have to know this. Second thing that Jesus tells us is not just about his heart, but it's about the yoke that he's giving. Now, this phrase that Jesus says, my yoke is this, isn't something that he just kind of came up with. It's not just imagery that he came up with. Rather, he's borrowing it from other um, teachers uh, teachers of that day. For instance... There are historical documents that talk about Pharisees and rabbis talking about the yoke of the law and it being a source of joy. And so there's all of this documentation talking about the joy of the yoke of the law. And their idea was to try and convince them of the The yoke of the law, these rules, this way of living, was to somehow produce life and flourishing and joy. And it was within that cultural context that Jesus comes up and gives this shocking statement. He says, "My yoke is easy and light." And it was given as a juxtaposition to the other yokes that were being presented of the day. Now, We're not gonna spend a lot of time getting into what the yoke of the law would have looked like. What I'd rather do is just be able to ask ourselves the question, what are some of the yokes that are being offered in our culture today? What are some of the things that are given over to, that our culture says, you just walk around Liberty Station, you're driving down the five, you're at the beach, you open up your, your, your internet. What are the messages that the world is trying to say, pick up this yoke, it will lead to joy. Pick up this yoke, it will lead to flourishing. Maybe it's the yoke of, of materialism, right? If you have enough, then it will lead to joy. You just need a little bit more. Make a little bit more so you can buy a little bit more. If that if your house is a little bit bigger, then you would do that. And as so we wear that yoke. But what's funny about yokes is they get kind of heavy after a while. And you're like, man, it's it's promising me that I'm going to arrive at joy, but in the meantime, this feels so heavy. Maybe it's that yoke of just perfectionism, that sense of like, you know, if I could just be a little bit more intelligent, if I could look a little bit more like this, if I could perform a little bit better in this area of my life, and all of a sudden, and you think, when I arrive, when I accomplish my task, then I'll finally be able to relax and experience that joy, but again, it just becomes quite heavy, What's that yoke you've been carrying? What yoke did you walk in here this morning with? Is that pressure from your corporate job? Is that pressure from culture saying that you need to look like this, have this, be this? Is it that yoke you've put upon yourself? What is that yoke you're carrying? Because it's it's in that moment when we realize the yokes that we all carry that Jesus says, I want you to trade. Trade me. You have your yoke. I want you to wear my yoke. It's a little bit different than yours. It's easy and it is light and it provides rest for your souls. Um, Dallas Willard has this incredible lecture on the easy yoke. And in it, he makes two observations that would have been shocking um, and beautiful about this invitation. Number one, is that there is such wisdom in taking on the yoke of Jesus. And he describes when you are training an animal to bear a yoke, if you would imagine two horses or two oxen, oftentimes when you're trying to get someone to use a yoke, you will take a young, untamed, unbridled animal, and you'll yoke them with an older, more established animal. And what will happen is when someone doesn't understand the concept of a yoke, that younger animal will rush on ahead and plow the entire field by their own strength, while the older animal just follows a little bit behind and doesn't do any of the work. While the, other, while the younger animal is just exhausting themselves, trying to do it all themselves, and they have no idea that they have twice as much power waiting right next to them. They're just unable to use it. And so what oftentimes is by the end of the field, they become so tired that they're now falling behind and that the farmer, whoever's behind them is now using whatever way they have to get them to go further. And that's not comfortable either. And says there's something that happens when that young untamed animal realizes the gift of a yoke and they start walking alongside the other animal and the increase of ease the, the straightness of what they're trying to accomplish and the, the, what they're trying to plow all of a sudden comes into that. And it's such a beautiful image for us to realize that we're like, cool, heard a sermon about the yoke of Jesus. I'm going to go out and work harder this week and be better and be an awesome Christian. And, I'm, and, you're, and all of a sudden, by the end of the week, you're like, why am I so exhausted? And I think it's because we are so tempted to run ahead of God out of our own strength, striving out of our own ability. And the whole time, it's not that God's absent. He's just saying, like, it would be so much easier if we did this together, don't you think? And oftentimes it takes weeks, months, sometimes years of us just saying, no, thanks, God, I got this. Don't worry. And God's like, okay, I'm still right next to you if you ever want this help. Still present to you. The second thing about this that Willard points out is not only the wisdom of yoking with Jesus, but the dignity of yoking with Jesus. You see, a yoke is an instrument that allows two animals to work together to accomplish the same task. Do you realize that by Jesus inviting us to take on his yoke, he's inviting us to take on his mission and purpose? How wild wild is it that the God of the universe came to earth and looked at us, looked at humanity and says, you are my vehicle to accomplish my purpose. What dignity to look at each and every one of us and say, you're invited. Come work with me. Come work alongside me to accomplish my kingdom, to bring about the rule and reign of God here on the earth. When we have that perspective we stop compartmentalizing our spirituality into spiritual things and secular things, church things, and world things. And all of a sudden, we start realizing that it's all just God things. We've been asked to yoke with him so that in every area of our life, we are joining together with him. This is why Paul in his letter to the church in Colossae says, whatever you do, and what, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through him. Do you realize you could yoke with Jesus while you brush your teeth? You could yoke with Jesus when you drop your kids off at school. You can yoke with Jesus when you watch the Phoenix Suns win the NBA championships. You can do that. You can you can yoke with Jesus when you go to the job that you don't really like. You can yoke with Jesus when you're in a fight with your spouse. You can yoke with Jesus in every single moment of your day. You can do it all connected with him, or you can try and do it out of your own strength, your own ability, and your own heart. And when we choose to say, no, 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 I want to— I want to connect myself with Jesus. When you do that, something happens that changes everything around you. And, it's, and it's, I just want to say it's not easy because of our human nature. We tend to want to do things by ourselves. But when we accept the invitation, everything changes. Willer says, it is easy to think that the Christian life is just one more burden to add to your already overwhelmed rhythm. But Jesus does not offer more on your plate but offers you a different plate entirely in which you can approach your whole life. I think one of the greatest tragedies is for us to come into a moment like this and to leave feeling like there's more to do rather that Everything we already were going to do is now made new. It's a new perspective with a new strength. Um, There's a great book called um, Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. And he writes this book essentially saying, you don't need to go and utterly change your life to go and spend like weeks on end at a monastery. He says, where you are right now can be a holy place. And he has this this phrase or these phrases in here. says this, stay inside your vocation, inside your commitments, inside your legitimate conscriptive duties, inside your church, inside your families, as they will teach you where life is found, what love means. Be faithful to your commitments and what you ultimately looking for will be found there. I think this is the beauty of what Jesus is saying. It says, I'm not asking you to do one more thing. I'm asking that everything you do look different. Yoke with me. Change how you approach it. Change, come with a new heart, a new perspective that you are joined with me. Because the more that we push that away, the more that we're just like, cool, July is Sabbath month, but August, I'm ready to hit it again. Let's go. And some of you guys, more type A personalities, like rest for you is kind of a wrestling match. And I just want to say, if you are that driven, type A, maybe like type 3 Enneagram, you just want to go, things like this. God made you like that, but he made you to be like that yoked with him. Go be an entrepreneur. Go do well in your, in your craft. Go create the next amazing thing. If you're, if you're an artist, go and be bold in, in the artistry that you have. But you don't have to do that out of your own strength. Do it yoked with Jesus. Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this A yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on an oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Jesus is using a kind of irony, saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non yoke, for it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver. Only to hear him shout back, sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough, drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is that added burden of a life preserver around my body. That's what we are all like, confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding deep fellowship with him out of a muted understanding of his heart. Have we we missed it? Have we rejected the gift of his yoke because we've mistaken it for every other yoke the world has tried to offer us, which leads to our last point. The heart of Jesus reveals the yoke of Jesus, which leads to the rest of Jesus that he promises. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. There is a soul level rest we are longing for. I remember when um, over a year ago when quarantine started happening and a lot of people, a lot of people within Christianity just maybe like overly optimistic, like this is so great. It's like a forced Sabbath, you know, like. Everyone's gonna stay at home. Our calendars are clear. I remember the day in April. I literally deleted my entire calendar. It was actually very liberating. And we had this season that was supposed to be this this thing of like, well, our, yeah, we're like not doing as much, and we're. But somehow, the more people I talk to, the more people I realize that no, no one seems to be at rest. Matter of fact, I read two articles this week, one from UCLA Medical and one from John Hopkins, saying that coming out of the past season we've had with the pandemic, there is now an epidemic of chronic fatigue syndrome. Now, fa- fascinating that out of a season that supposedly would slow down the world, we are coming out of it more tired than ever. And I believe is because even if you got a break in your calendar, what we truly need is soul rest. And only Jesus can give that. A vacation to the Bahamas could be great. Binging a a season on Netflix, sure, can make you just take your mind off of work. But can I tell you something? You cannot experience soul rest until you have yoked with Jesus, period. And I think we have now proven that more than ever. We desperately need a kind of rest that only comes through the offering and the gift of Jesus Christ. And so many of you, I mean, I've sensed it in my heart. I've sensed it in my own life that there is a deep, deep need to realign and reorient our hearts with Christ's so that we will now live out our days yoked with Him because doing this on our own doesn't work. I find it fascinating that right after the, those powerful words of Jesus, the next thing that happens in Matthew's Gospels is a story of His. Disciples and him walking through the field, grabbing some grain, eating it, and getting in trouble by the religious leaders saying, you're breaking the traditions of the elders. You're not allowed to do that. Jesus does his Jesus thing and totally rebukes them using the Old Testament, saying, don't you know that David did this? But there's, there's a, he ends it with this phrase. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, multiple scholars have pointed out that Jesus does not say that he's Lord over the Sabbath, meaning that he gets to control the rules of it, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that he's the source of the Sabbath. Sabbath comes out of him, meaning that all Sabbath rest also points back to him. And that in this moment, he's looking at these religious rulers who are up in arms as someone's eating like grain as they're walking through the field. And his anger is coming out of this place of, you're not sacrificing the right way. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. There's something about the mercy of God that is linked with the rest of God. Which I think it's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 4, years later... When the author of Hebrews is writing about Sabbath rest, he says that there's still a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. And ultimately, he uses this passage to point to Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And listen, I love that Dave Lomas was here to teach about Sabbath. I love Fridays are my Sabbath. A.J. Swoboda is a friend of mine. He wrote that book. It's incredible. You should get it in the back. I, I champion Sabbath so hard, but can I tell you something? Sabbath is available to you as much as Jesus is available to you. Wherever Jesus is, Sabbath is, because he is where Sabbath comes from. He's the source of Sabbath. So you don't need to wait for one day a week to find Sabbath rest. Every time you are yoked with Jesus, you will find yourself falling into and coming out of a place of rest because it all points to him. And I love that in Hebrews 4, it ends. It seems like it takes like a hard right. This starts talking about a high priest, but I don't think it does. I think it's, it's tying two points together. When he starts talking about this, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we, we may receive what? Mercy, mercy, and find grace in our time of need. And so in Hebrews 4, as well as Matthew 11 and 12, you see rest and mercy linked together. And so if you're here this morning, I I, I prayed for this morning, I prayed for you, I prayed for this church. There is this sense in my heart that you guys, that there is a, a willingness to learn different habits and rhythms to learn how to rest better. But until you can find yourself resting in the mercy of God, that you'll still continue to chase after it. And I think that that's what God wants to extend today, is that you would find yourself fully in him. This is what Augustine so famously said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and I love this line, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. Now, this is what this morning is all about. It's, it's calling us back not to learn something new, but to experience something more fuller, to experience the invitation of Jesus just to come and rest. Again, um, I was talking with someone after the previous gathering um, who, whose brother passed away three months ago. And she's looking at me, and she's like, with tears in her eyes. She's like, how do I rest? And we just talked about how we have a great high priest who can empathize with every single weakness we have. I'm like, resting in Jesus doesn't look like you have to go and learn more about Sabbath. I'm like, you get to go and fall apart in the arms of Christ because he's the only one who gets your grief. If you're here and you feel so isolated and alone, like no one knows your pressure, no one knows your struggle, no one knows your sense, can I just invite you? No, no, no. Jesus does. And he wants to come and shoulder that with you, to walk alongside you, and to lead you towards streams of quiet waters to restore your soul. This is what the shepherd of our soul does. This is what i like to do. Um, I want you guys just to just sit with four questions. So if you guys have a journal, would you take that out or maybe even a phone or just something to write down these four questions because I'd love for you to sit with them probably even beyond this moment. We're not going to have a ton of time to really sit with these. But some point throughout this week I would love for us to kind of work through these. Number 1, what is Jesus asking you to not carry? What is Jesus asking you to say, you don't need to carry that. I I never asked you to carry that. I want you to give that up. Just go ahead. Don't carry that anymore. What's that one thing, or maybe there's a few, that Jesus is asking you not to carry anymore? Second, what is Jesus asking you to carry differently? Maybe there's something you don't need to give that up but maybe you've been carrying it all on your own and you need to carry it differently. You need to go into your place of work. You need to go and have a conversation with your spouse. You need to go and, and, um, and you need to look at the call of God in your life, but you need to look at it differently, carry it differently. Number three, what is one practical step you can take this week to rest and reflect on the heart of Jesus the gentle and lowly heart of our Savior. Um, And by this, we can just pause right here on question three. Maybe you should switch from your notes app to your calendar app and just go ahead and in your calendar, just write down just a couple hours sometime this week to go and sit. And your only job is to evaluate how you are living your life. Is it yoked with Jesus or not? Not do you believe in Jesus, But are you yoked with him? Are you walking alongside him? Number four, what are the implications of living life out of the easy yoke of Christ? What would it look like if you chose to live your life, to parent, to love your neighbor, to budget, to dream and plan, to go to work, to study, yoked with Christ? What are the implications of that? I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come back up. And as we start worshiping, um, may, maybe you can just start just seated and you can just kind of work through these questions. And at any point, obviously, if you feel, feel free to stand and start singing with us, but just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak and reveal to you what are the things he's working in you and wanting to shift and transform in your life. But, but know this before they start singing. I, I want you to think about this. The implications of what God is trying to teach this church this month is not just for you to feel better. That's part of it. I believe that God is creating wholeness and mending and bringing healing through rest. But I also think that when a community of people lives out of a place of rest, everyone benefits. The world around us benefits. Your families, your roommates, your coworkers, your neighborhood will benefit because you're not living this fragmented, hyper-striving, out-of-your-own-strength kind of life. Dana Ortlund says that he, Jesus, astounds and sustains us with his endless kindness. Only as we walk ever deeper into this tender kindness can we live the Christian life, as the New Testament calls us to. Only as we drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ will we leave in our wake, everywhere we go, the aroma of heaven and die one day having startled the world with glimpses of a divine kindness too great to be boxed in by what we deserve. Man, let's drink down the kindness of the heart of Christ so that everything we do would startle the world, startle the world with understanding the heart of Jesus. It starts with us, we have to grasp it first so that the world would know that our God is not some dictator, overbearing, just evil presence. Rather, he is the opposite. At the core of who he is, is a heart that is gentle and lowly. Father, we thank you so much that we don't have to live a bound set life. We don't have to wonder what the boundaries are, Lord Jesus, as much as we need to know what the source, the center set is. And Lord, I pray that today we'd come back to the well and we would drink deep of the heart of Jesus. God, thank you that your heart towards us is gentle and lowly and not angry and embittered. Lord, when we know we've given you every right to be that way, you choose, Lord God. You choose to just operate towards us in your mercy. Lord, I want to pray right now for anyone who's here who just feels physically exhausted. Matter of fact, I, just, I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me that there may be some people in here that are physically sick because of the stress you're carrying in your body. And so right now, I want to speak to that person or those people. And in the name of Jesus, would you bring healing right now Lord, we lay our burdens at your feet. We cast our cares on you, for you care for us, as says in Scripture. Lord, I want to pray for everyone here who's grieving, that doesn't know how to rest. They don't know how to let things go. Lord, I pray they would just collapse into your arms today. Lord, I pray for the person who's, who's confused confused because they, they feel like if they don't strive under their own strength, that everything will fall apart. Lord, I pray that you would just pick them up in your hands right now. Let them rest in you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sit with these questions that the Holy Spirit speak to us.